Welcome to The Waiting Room Revolution. We're so excited to announce our book, Hope for the Best, Plan for the Rest, Seven Keys for Navigating a Life-Changing Diagnosis, is available now in paperback, ebook, and audiobook. Get a copy wherever you buy your books, and check out our website, waitingroomrevolution.com, for more information. The, the worries are, what will I look like at the end of that term? Will I be in pain? Uh, will I have um, uh, coherence in, in my thought process? Um, so I need to find out about what that looks like to actually uh, pass away and, and die in six months. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's really what I need to, to figure out. That's the biggest thirst that I have right now in terms of information. That was Stephen Starkman, a photographer with a new book out, Proximity of Mortality, which documents images with his journey with small cell lung cancer. We met Stephen over two conversations spread out a few months apart. We explore what it's like to live with a life-limiting illness that will progress, the highs and the lows, and the importance of being in the know. It's a special opportunity when we get permission to share our interview with patients about their experiences, which are often very honest and raw. Keep that in mind as you listen to this episode. Hi, I'm Sien Xiao. And I'm Sammy Winemaker. We talk to people who have information and tips on how to unlock a better illness experience. The waiting room revolution starts right now. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, welcome, Stephen. Thank you very much. Yeah, we don't often have patients on the show. As you know, we've had a few, um, but uh, we love talking to patients who... Um, you know, hopefully I've used our keys and we're delighted to chat with you about the waiting room revolution and your experience with a, a life limiting illness to date. So definitely. And I understand that you're an artist, a photographer based in Toronto, and your work has been shown all over the world. Um, we'd love to get to know you a bit better. Sure, absolutely. Um, I haven't been a photographer my entire life. I used to work with software and software distribution and um I sort of got my head into uh, uh, imaging software for law firms, for litigators. So I made a, a great deal of my um, name in that field. Uh, but photography has always been a passion. And it's been such a, a drawing point that I decided to sort of switch over and, and become much more photo integrated. Uh, photography was... Um, was something that took me to places like Antarctica, which was an incredible experience, or to uh, safari in Africa and all of these type of wonderful experiences. So um, I definitely consider myself a photographer. And uh, I think that's sort of the, the key of, of why I'm here today with you guys is because uh, I'm on the other side of the disease wall, if you want to say, and I'm uh, doing my very, very utmost to photograph uh, everything that I can in terms of uh, in terms of what I see, what I feel, what I think, and and uh, how I express myself. So, so Stephen, you know, you're embarking on writing a book about your journey. Can you tell us the title and what was the motivation behind what you were trying to do with this? Sure. It's, uh, it's called The Proximity of Mortality, 
a visual artist's journey through cancer. So um, I was very, and it has a very soft, lovely looking cover on the photograph. So it's, it's really meant to be inviting, but it, it's also, um, it, it's a story of somebody who, or a photographer, myself, who has, who has a cancer diagnosis and has had um, various ups and downs in the system and um, uh, is, you know, trying very hard to, to keep that book um, uh, out there uh, and a lifeline for myself because, um, you know, it makes, it's nonsensical, but I kind of feel like uh, as long as I have that book, I might have myself. Um, since the book uh, was published with the poetry, with the quotes from the cancer survivors, with, uh, um, you know, with my own narrative and, uh, and especially with my dedication to my wife, because she's the unsung hero in, in all this. Um, all of this becomes um, one package and one story and one slice of time. And, and I, I, I think I've done it very well, but um, if I do say so myself, but I think I've done it very well. Uh, but it's not the whole story. The whole story is yet to come. And uh, so mm -hmm. since I've had um, the book uh, published, um, I've had brain surgery, mm -hmm. which is not something that, you know, Mm -hmm. is a common thing to to have so I had a biopsy of a tumor in my brain and that's where they think it's going to um to settle so you know I, and I should be clear that this uh, small cell lung cancer is considered to be uh, uh incurable mm -hmm. so I you know I haven't yet got the courage up to ask the the docs um what uh what that looks like but i plan to the next time but uh that i interact with them i think i need to know i'm wondering are you photographing your illness journey like you're photographing when you go to appointments and when you're in the hospital and you know your life as someone who is facing a serious illness or are you photographing the things that come into view for you uh, around you that have nothing to do with your illness? Actually both. Oh. So, and, and uh, a third and fourth component as well. So I wanted to broaden the book. I didn't want the book to be all about myself. Mm -hmm. So I have a, a, a fairly substantial section, which is a narrative about who I am and what having a diagnosis felt like. Uh, and um, it it was a question of what do I do now? And I know what I wanted to do mm -hmm. was document some of the hospitals, some of the, um, I couldn't photograph any patients. So, I mean, this is absolutely impossible to, to do in, in short notice. Uh, so I felt like the hospital setting was much more powerful. So I have photographs of things like uh, uh, a chemo gurney and uh, uh, 
other surrounding sort of materials. I have a photograph mm-hmm. of myself holding a chemo pole, mm-hmm. which is um, fairly striking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I also wanted to photograph what I call the metaphor. So instead of the documentary, it's the metaphor of how I felt on a particular day, what that that entire uh, experience really translated into. Um, and these are, uh, they're kind of landscapes, but they're not landscapes. They have a particular uh, look about them, which uh, is uh, something that satisfies me very much. Uh, and then um, I was uh, uh, lucky enough to run into somebody at a cancer support center who agreed to connect me with cancer survivors. And I was able to uh, uh, connect with that with that group of people and get their quotes and their their stories, and superimpose those on top of my own images. Um, so I sort of had that plus some poetry in the book as well. What are some of your of the of your favorite images that you've taken that uh, when people? Um, well, but most of yeah. the images are are uh, metaphorical, so they're they're of they mean something other than what they show. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a, a lovely uh, image that shows two people at the end of a pier, and this was in, you know, after my diagnosis, and this was basically people as far away as possible. And I had this this weird sense one day that instead of my passing other people would would just vanish like the people that i loved and and knew and wanted would just not be there anymore and how much my my passing would mean that i would miss them Mm. so it was the opposite sort of thing Mm. so that picture reminds me of missing people who they're not in my life but people who would be in my life Mm -hmm. um I've got um, photographs of of, uh, beautiful cloud formations with a very different sort of texture to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've got photographs of of the moon during an eclipse, which is kind of behind the clouds and shaky. And I call that one proximity of mortality Mm -hmm. because you're so close to this big mysterious thing that is actually like it's vibrating. Mm-hmm. Um, I have uh, those photographs I mentioned earlier, which were about uh, uh, having um, um, brain fog, just had it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, so there are two or three of those in the book, which are mm-hmm. kind of um, important. Uh, one of my biggest fears after I got diagnosed was that um, I would have to face surgery. And so I have a picture of a of a saw like that's in your mm-hmm. garage. It's mm-hmm. big and ugly and mm-hmm. has these teeth in it. And then mm-hmm. the next page is a picture of mannequins who mm-hmm. are cut in their abdomen straight across. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some synergy between the images, which is kind of hard to describe. But um, you know. Mm-hmm. We'll and, where, and where can people purchase this book? Well, I have a website. Uh, it's Stephen with a PH. So uh, www. 
www.stephenstarkman.com. And if you go there, there's a, a link in the upper left-hand corner, mm -hmm. and it'll take you to the uh, Purchase Now uh, page. And from mm -hmm. that point, you can you can make a purchase of the book, and uh, it will be mailed out uh, fairly soon. I'm going to buy one for sure. Please. Yeah, <laughs> I will. I'm looking at the um, pictures on the internet, and uh, it's all that more meaningful now that we've met you and spoken to you, I can't wait to look at your book. Um, but I think you have more books in you. I hope so. That would be kind of fun. That would be be kind of fun. So I have, um, yeah, I have some thoughts about that. But uh, well, you yeah, said you're you're nice. only partway through your journey. So you're absolutely right. And you know what, it was really interesting. Because when I published this book I published I self-published the book mm -hmm. and the reason I self-published it is that I wanted to get it in my hands as soon as possible mm -hmm. so I didn't want to go through a year of finding a, mm -hmm. a publisher so I self-published it myself there's no money in books at all so this is like a a definite gift to the to the world well you guys will find out when you publish yours mm -hmm. <laughs> the margins are slim but mm -hmm. you'll do much better than me that's okay. And, <laughs> and it's just a, a really fun thing to do. Um, and then just the anticipation is just so, you know, wonderful. And, and it's so affirming to, mm -hmm. to have something like that um, show up at the door in multiple cartons. And it's just a really nice feeling. It's a really, really nice feeling. Yeah, like your life has, is published, like a piece of your yeah. life is published. It's like looking yeah. at your CV or your resume or, you know, it's just, um, it's uh, immortal, right? That book. It is immortal. And there's nothing in it that is um, uh, gory or bloody or, yeah. uh, or you know, or, or would turn people off or make mm -hmm. them not want to pick it up. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a hopeful book in, in that sense. And I'm very happy uh, the way it turned out. So if we can go back a step, just because um, we know about you from our correspondence, but the listeners may not. So can you tell us more about how your life changed when you sure. got your diagnosis? Yeah, What was sure. the diagnosis and, and the journey so far? Well, um, in some ways, uh, I consider myself very lucky. Uh, I'm lucky that I'm not walking down the street and I piece of metal falls out of the sky like if I was in Ukraine. I'm lucky that I'm not a victim of an accident and can't say goodbye to people that I love and care about. So um, although that's how I feel right now, sort of like the tools that you give people for hope, that hope changes and evolves over time, the the luckiness that I feel is is quite contented. Um, I was diagnosed with a, a small cell lung cancer. And um, this was a, a, a real shock because I had woken up one morning and did not feel well and went to the local hospital. And in the course of uh, just the one day, I walked in unwell and I walked out with a cancer diagnosis. So again, I'm kind of lucky that I didn't have to wait a week or wait for a scan. The PET scan came afterwards. And uh, 
things of that nature. Um, so it was a, a really shocking um, event and one that is, you feel so alone, yet you're, you're sort of like your adrenaline is going all the time. It just doesn't, doesn't stop. Um, and, you know, you, you are feeling um, intensely uh, emotional um, at that moment. Um, so, you know, I was in such a small hospital that they took me aside and they put me in the ophthalmologist chair. So I was literally blindly looking at an eye chart when I was told I had cancer. So I, it's, it's not a joking matter, but it, it is an absolute, mm -hmm. you know, irony mm -hmm. that this all sort of occurred in the way it did. How long ago was that, Stephen? This was uh, July of 2021. Okay, so not that long ago. Not um, that long ago, no. At the in the middle of COVID, actually. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So we were uh, fortunate in that um, my wife, who would normally accompany me, accompany me, um, really couldn't. So she had to go home, and I sort of waited out the day as the difficulty of, uh, of finding out what was wrong with me progressed mm -hmm. what and when they um revealed the diagnosis to you um which you say came out of left field um yes was the way that they told you about it um do you remember that being a compassionate conversation do you remember it at all I remember some of it um I think some of it was compassionate, but within the bounds of a, an emergency room physician who doesn't have a lot of time and is looking um, after everyone else in that emergency room. It's a small town in uh, Ontario. And um, I, I pretty much asked him, are you sure? Which is like um, an inner pause you know, you sort of say things that you kind of expect to hear yourself say. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, we don't think it can be anything else, but we mm -hmm. need a specialist to really uh, diagnose it and uh, and find out what, what's happening. But uh, we're pretty sure it's cancer. It's the, uh, the last sort of um, event after a CT scan. Mm -hmm. So... Um, we didn't spend too long, but he didn't seem rushed. So he seemed um, he seemed quite um, comfortable in talking more, but I just didn't have any questions. Mm -hmm. um, and that's sort of been a bit of my my own um, issues, and which is not to question. Uh, the diagnosis for for a while so mm -hmm. you know I I found your podcast and I just thought it was um, incredible it was just mm -hmm. absolutely you know what I needed to hear at the right time mm -hmm. and I think that sometimes timing is is really so important um, mm -hmm. it just reminds me that 
if someone's very busy, like a doctor in an ER and gives you information and you're the kind of person who pauses in your mind and is sort of chewing on the information for a bit before you even have a chance to formulate a question, you might miss the opportunity, right? Because the doctor is gone and off and doing something else. So some people can really think quickly and like come up with questions very quickly, but not everyone. We're on a continuum that way, right? So um, the busyness of an ER works uh, against those people who need time to just digest uh, huge news. What were you thinking when he first told you you had cancer? Did, did he say this is metastatic cancer or this is localized? Of course, they wouldn't know it was small cell for sure until they got a biopsy, but um, he, he said this looks like cancer. Uh, did you know, did you ask does it look bad, doctor? No, I, I, I didn't. Um, both my parents passed away from cancers. My mm. mother passed away when she was 39 and I was mm. 14. My father passed away a few years later um, from pancreatic cancer, and this was in the 80s. So to say, was it a surprise for me? The, the answer there is yes and no. Mm. it's it's really kind of um shocking mm. uh rather than than completely out of left field mm -hmm. um mm. i mean so one of the um interesting things that i would love to learn from you is you know there is no right or wrong it is a journey and you mentioned your mid-journey but you've also said that some of the keys that we've talked about have been helpful so which yeah. ones have been helpful so far. We know you're still working, you know, you're still, zoom out is still something you you know that there's information and yep. perhaps you'll ask about it in the future. But which of the other keys have been helpful for yourself first? And then I'm well, going to ask think, for your wife's yeah. intentions. Yeah, I think they all have. I think the, the ones that are closer to the end of one's uh, illness journey are harder to kind of think of. So, um, you know, invite yourself was not a easy sort of um, emotionally easy one to 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 hear. Um, but uh, everything else has been very helpful. And even though I'm on a a nonlinear journey, so I'm like probably most other people all over the map, so to speak. Um, I plan on doing something about that. And I'm, you know, I'm very emotional about it, as you can tell, mm. um, just, just in my voice. So I really plan on doing something about that because it's, it's important for me to now know what my future holds um, without being overwhelmed because I've kind of accepted this part of my illness um, and will see what the next part brings um as it unfolds so um you know i mean the, yeah i mean as listening in the same way sammy's listening i'm listening you know paint sort of trying to um you know probe deeper too but clearly customizing your order and and your uh like what's important to you and being able to continue your photography was important being able to tell your story yeah. having a purpose continuing to work in some way and but, you know, in, in many ways, this is part of your legacy leaving. So there was some connection there, I think. And you talked about advanced care planning, which is um, 
you you know knowing your style and 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 making some plans so you know there there's pieces that uh and we had always thought of these as not in order there's just sort of a different skills that you might employ um do you think that your wife and you have the same style and are approaching this in the same way and if these keys has she listened to the podcast or some of these keys and do you think that this has helped her in any yeah you know I, i started her on the podcast about three weeks ago and she's been listening uh diligently and um and uh, she feels very much akin, to, uh, especially, you know, you know, to anticipate ripples, which is about caregiving. And, um, it, you know, it, it really meant a lot to her to hear this from other people. I'm not the only one who thinks this. I'm not the only one who, who you know, has a thought about, about, am I going crazy? Am I burning out? Am I doing whatever? And like, like you both have said, if, if, you know, if I lose her as a primary caregiver, then everything else unravels. So it's, um, it's so important for me to make sure that I can give back something that is just special and unique to her. And I've had, um, uh, you know, we've had discussions about that and, uh, they're always, um, really helpful to, to, talk things like that out but the seven keys are are um ones that i've felt are really really important to me i my um my sense is Stephen, that maybe the next step for you to think about is getting a real good understanding of where you're at now yeah. Because I mean, you're very clear about what's happened since the diagnosis, what treatments you've had, you might not be totally clear on the dates, your wife is right. keeping track of those things. Right. But, you know, you've got sort of your history down pat. Um, but trying to get a sense of where am I at right now? Um, and then digesting that. And then thinking about asking more questions about, okay, well, now where I understand where I'm at right now, but can we talk about the future and, yeah. you know, what to expect um, in the future? I'll give you another, another insight, which is, which is interesting for me. When I go to sleep at night, if I go up to the bedroom and lie down and try to go to sleep, I have a really, really hard time because those thoughts creep in those, those really negative, really horrible thoughts creep in and, and, and you, I, I can't sort of do that very easily. Mm-hmm. If I'm lying on the couch or just sitting on the couch and uh, I let the sleep catch up to me instead mm-hmm. of the other way around, then I can actually sleep very well. Mm-hmm. So some of these things are adaptive. Some of these things are are really ways of finding micro coping mechanisms mm-hmm. for for yourself, and uh, they may not work for other people, but you know that it really does work for me. It's interesting because I feel like you're um, flirting with knowing. I don't know how else to say yeah, it, you're right. but like you're right. it's like it's 
couple steps forward, but then pull back a couple steps forward, but then pull back. Like you're the, the title of your book is just really ironic to me, actually. Um, yeah. What is the full title again? It's proximity, proximity, the proximity of, of, of mortality, mortality, yeah. but you are walking like a very, very close line to your own mortality and knowing more about your future. I just think it's very interesting because you're, you have this book, you've named it this way. It's full of images, poetry, um, um, vignettes. You're right now talking to a palliative care doctor and a palliative care researcher. You've listened to the podcast uh, and we talk all about this kind of stuff, but you haven't taken the plunge yet um, to find out more information, but you're flirting with it. You've contacted us. You, um, yeah. We were delighted to have you on the podcast. It's really interesting. You are um, contemplative if we talk about the stages of change. Um, and, uh, you know, you just have to, something will, I think it's the, um, I think your motivation is your wife and um, you're thinking about her needs and that she might need more information to know a little bit more about what the future holds for her as a primary caregiver and what it means for you guys as a couple um, and how to organize yourselves and, you know, um, so it might be that you take the plunge. I shouldn't call it the plunge because it's not like you're drowning, but that you take right. that next step right. uh, on behalf of your wife might be that um, the catalyst for you, I think. I think you're you're absolutely correct. I think I need to um, to do that. And I think uh, now is the time to do that. And what I'm not quite, doing is is asking them where do you see me on that roadmap like where am mm -hmm. i from diagnosis to to um to passing away and mm -hmm. you know where how far along am i mm -hmm. um, so i need to do that that's something mm -hmm. that i've i've tried to do and was sort of um given the brush off with mm -hmm. uh, one of my medical with the medical oncologist and yeah. it's something I really you know need to do with the uh, with the staff yeah and uh, persist because um, yeah. you know it's an uncomfortable conversation but certainly the medical oncologist can tell you at least the average person with small cell lung cancer who's yeah. had da 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 and I almost suspect listening that part of the reason why you haven't because that question about once you had the roadmap, it will give you a much clearer idea of, of what is coming. And that is an uncomfortable thing to accept, perhaps for yourself or your wife. And in some ways, by not asking it, we can leave that. I, you know, maybe your wife isn't ready to, to think about that. And so if, if you both want to know the roadmap, this will be easier for you to have permission to maybe go in together to ask about what some of the details are. Because by asking it on behalf of both of you, then it's sort of like one of you has information that the other doesn't, and you don't want to do that. You don't want to be, you don't want to sort of um, out, out this information if both of you aren't ready. I wonder if there's some piece of that. Kind of can appreciate there's certain things where you're like, mm, 
I'm scared to ask because that would mean my wife now would also know this too in some ways. And yeah, maybe we're 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 okay to be in this this limbo, really, a little bit. It's a little bit of a, a limbo. Yeah, the limbo the limbo is has been my responsibility for not wanting to know um or being too overwhelmed to know. But she mm-hmm. was she was much more involved in knowing things she she kind of took the role of of um okay i'm going to keep records and i'm going to keep track mm-hmm. of stuff mm-hmm. but for myself it it was um uh it was uh there's too much here and um mm-hmm. whatever yeah. it'll be it'll be and 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 all of that but i think at mm-hmm. this point um i'm you know i'm pretty much ready and I, am i flirting mm-hmm. with it i'm flirting with it because i'm scared of it yeah yeah you know I'm really scared of, of what what will come back and I don't know if I want to be scared right now when things are kind of kind of calm yeah and, yeah. and done we just um we just booked and it's, it's the second time that we've done it we've just booked a, a trip to uh Mexico so we're gonna go away and uh have some some stuff to drink and mm-hmm. enjoy mm-hmm. enjoy Mexico a little bit as much as I can. Yeah, and um, um, so that's coming up, and hopefully everything will will be um, will be okay, and, and you know up to that point. So, um, yeah, in my sense, Stephen, is that um, people think that they're avoiding being scared by not asking yeah and that they're going to get scary information but the thing is is you're already scared (laughs) you know you have to stay downstairs in the living room watch tv until you're so zonked out you go upstairs like you are you you are scared um you're trying to bury it as much as possible Uh, most people that i meet uh do say that no matter what kind of information they get it is grounding. It's less scary yeah. for better or for worse when you know, when you're in the know. Um, but you, you, you know, your stage of readiness will declare itself right now. You've gone through lots. It's been busy. You feel like you're in a stable state. You have some plans to just be blissfully ignorant. Let's just say like you're pretending to be anyway, right? You're not, but you, you want to just remain in la la land just a little bit longer um, because you assume that the information is going to be way worse than you're expecting but I don't think it's going to be I think you know a lot um I think you know a lot more than you let on and um I can see uh that you are well uh I can see that you're holding up uh that you've come through all that treatment um hearty and well and you still have life in you Stephen uh to enjoy you do not look like you're going anywhere soon (laughs) that's my impression and the other good news is that you know you haven't been highly symptomatic as as far as you've said so far so no I think you're absolutely right in fact one of the things that I wanted to do before we met today was have a conversation with my family doctor Mm -hmm. because I really wanted to ask him this these questions we caught up with Stephen a few months later after he had had a chance to meet with his doctors Hi, Stephen. Welcome back. So this is a follow-up conversation. 
You've had a couple of appointments since we last talked. So I'm curious, how did those go? And did you get new information? Boy, have things changed. Mm. So um, I went in in May uh, for an MRI and they found uh, more tumors in my brain. Mm. And what they recommended at that time uh, was a uh, um, basically a whole brain radiation. Mm. And um, it's a very uh, difficult process to go through because it really does affect how you remember events in your life and uh, especially surrounding the book and things about the book and, and about what I wanted to, to accomplish with the book. Uh, and um, I even made a bit of a list uh, with my wife and we sort of went through 10 or 15 um, very poignant sort of um, stages of, of, uh, of the treatment. And, um, you know, it's there right now, they're, they're kind of looking at me and I had two oncologists sort of, sort of discuss this. Um, they're looking at me and they're saying, we think you have, which is all that they can do, uh, about six months left in your lifetime. So that's been a real um, harsh sort of uh, thing to face. And um, that was just uh, as of yesterday. So it was, it was really, really tough. And um, I can't quite see how going from where I am today to having six months down the road, having that sort of all get swept up into, into a death cycle, um, how that is going to play out. Like I can sort of see it a little bit and I'm losing some memory. And, um, but I'm, otherwise I think I'm speaking and feeling generally just fine and without any pain and, and all of that. So that's, that's all really, really good. Um, but it's really tough to, to understand what to do. The, the, you know, the, the zoom out for me, which I did the last two times that I met the uh, oncologist, mm -hmm. uh, was really, really important. It, it was the very first time I met him. It was a him and then a her. Uh, the very first time I met him, uh, he said something that I didn't process. And I didn't really get that I had about six months or so to go uh, or less. And um, I went home and I felt okay. I felt okay because uh, one, I had a trip to Mexico um, planned and felt that uh, that had to sort of sit on the back burner and until I had this whole head radiation uh, process going, it was like 10 treatments uh, over three weeks. And so that trip got canceled. Um, I was told that I was really wonky um, during that period of time, that it had really made a significant uh, impact on my, my thought process and uh, especially memory. Uh, and then I, when I look back at it, I can kind of, kind of see it. Uh, and um, it was a, a really difficult time to cancel the trip. Went back to see him for a follow-up. And he very much stated that in your arc of your disease, in your arc, you are about six months away, we think, from, from you know, from death. And uh, 
you know, I took that, you know, as one person's opinion, um, you know, almost a bit of an optimist. And then I had another uh, oncology appointment after a CT scan yesterday. And I asked her the same questions, zoom out. And she said, and without giving her the context, but giving her, uh, I mean, giving her context of, of zooming out rather than, than um, zooming in. And she said, yeah, about six months. So, you know, this is the second person who's sort of corroborated that. And uh, it's, it's, it's really funny. It's really hard to, to deal with. That is um, so disappointing, that news, Stephen. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if you were expecting um, something different when you had the scans. And um, you aren't currently on any treatment, correct? No treatment um, at this point. It was the last, that radiation was the last treatment that I can have. Okay, there's, and so you discussed with them if there were any other treatment options like immunotherapy or targeted therapy or chemotherapy and there's there's nothing there's nothing um the chemotherapy she seemed to um she seemed to waver about around that a little bit and she said well i, I don't think that i'll have you on chemotherapy at this point and i she must have been thinking that it would have been a very miserable experience and the immunotherapy I asked about as well. And she said, you have to be on chemotherapy at the same time. But, but you have been asymptomatic, meaning you didn't, you, you didn't feel that this was coming your way, except that now that you look back, maybe you had a little bit of um, memory issues or, but you've been feeling well otherwise, correct? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is coming out of left field for you. It's shocking. This is a gentle slope down from left field because yeah. I sort of had a couple of warnings beforehand by the, uh, uh, the team at uh, Sunnybrook. And then I had a, a warning yesterday by the team at, uh, uh, at uh, Garden River. Was, was it Garden Lake? Grand, Grand, Grand River? DR, DRCC, Durham Region Cancer Center. Mm -hmm. So um, hearing it from two different sources and they're seeing the same data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of, I, I still can't quite wrap my head around it. Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. I, but out of, from out of left field, yeah, it, it really, it really is. And, and um, I suppose if I'm going to decline very quickly, and that's a big if, so I'm not quite giving up um, some of the, uh, some of the premises that you have in, in your podcast, like the walk two roads. Um, but that's not really certain anymore. That's really not going to happen. So good. What, what is your understanding of what six months means? Uh, when they say to someone like you, oh, you might have, you know, up to six months. Right. So it was surrounded by some of the provisos of, we don't, we can't really tell you, we don't have a crystal ball. We're not going to end up in the same um, back, you know, going backwards. But mm -hmm. six months to me is anywhere between four and eight months. Mm -hmm. It really um, shows itself as something that's rather urgent. Mm -hmm. and probably will overtake me in terms of my brain health in some period of time. Did and you ask them, okay, 
Um, well, that's a hard pill to swallow, getting that timeline. Did you go on to ask them, what can I expect between now and then? Like, what am I waiting for? What am I scanning my body for? What am yeah. I, it, like, how, how, like, how will I know something's happening? Did you, were you curious about that? Yeah, I was. And I, and some of that um, conversation was um, basically about fatigue, um, appetite, because uh, my wife noticed that I had lost a little bit of weight. Mm -hmm. um, general malaise and probably more memory loss or, or coherence in my, in my thinking. Mm -hmm. So I don't really know what's coming. And mm -hmm. I've always, always sort of said, you know, it could be anything mm -hmm. in, in the six months, but I, I really, it would be so much nicer to have a, um, a different or an alternative um, timeline to sort of put into play and sort of think about and uh, the timeline being, well, at this point, you'll feel kind of, you know, weak and uh, and then that will go on a certain amount of time until it builds up. To, I don't have that. Yeah. So because, they were very vague. Yeah, because of course that would be individual for you. Yes. Um, and, and what you've been given is population averages. The six months is about the billions of people who have had small cell lung cancer with brain meds, but it's not Stephen's exact journey. And if they gave you, you, you know, you'll have this many months of this and this many months of this, they have a harder time, um, you know, nailing that part. Uh, yeah. but, but there, there is information to be had. If you were interested in knowing what to expect between now and then, um, that it is your right to know. Uh, and it is possible to talk about what does the last six months look like? Yeah, it, it does. Um, it, it, it does seem as if that information should be available and would be available. Part of my um, hesitation is to jump on Google and, and sort of do a, mm -hmm. an educated search or an uninformed search. Mm -hmm. So I kind of want some guidance in that way. And I, I, have, um, I have engaged a palliative care physician uh, out here. Good. So he's been out at least, he's been out once and we can still, you know, deal with him uh, as things uh, progress. Yeah. And, um, I think it's probably a good time for me to call him back now that I got this information yesterday. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's really incredible. First of all, it's so fresh. Yeah. So, you know, when people get big news like this, um, it is, you know, to say the least rattling. Um, and so there'll be a period of adjustment where you and your wife and your family, you know, have to absorb this information that you didn't want that you that you were hoping would never happen but then you will begin to collect information because it is better to know yeah. for better or worse because wouldn't you want wouldn't you want people to tell you that time was maybe limited so that you could decide how you and your family want to spend that time as opposed to you know putting your blindfolders on and 
no one ever telling you. And then suddenly you're wondering, why am I getting weaker? Why are things going in the wrong direction here? So you'll need to adjust um, and take some time. And then I have every reason to believe that you will go into action mode, whatever that looks like for you, you know, collecting information. You already said you and your wife have been having these big conversations about what to do. So you are sort of a planner. I am a, I am a planner. I like things, you know, I like to have things where they belong. Um, although to look in the, in the house, it doesn't necessarily look that way. Um, but I like having everything in this place. Yeah. And, um, it's been very frustrating the last uh, year and a half um, to sort of lose control of that. Like, I don't remember where things are. I don't remember where this is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been really, really fortunate that my wife steps in Mm-hmm. She gave up her job. She stepped in and, and, uh, and is helping me um, tremendously uh, just navigating this, that, and the other thing. So, Do you mind me asking, um, now that you have this information, what are some of your worries or anxieties or fears sure. about the future? Sure. I guess the first thing is that six months seems like an awfully short period of time. Mm-hmm. So it's it's sort of like living a bit in the twilight zone right now for me. Uh, the, the worries are, what will I look like at the end of that term? Will I be in pain? Uh, will I have uh, uh, coherence in, in my thought process? Um, so I need to find out about what that looks like to actually uh, pass away and, and die in six months. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really what I need to, to figure out. That's the biggest thirst that I have right now in terms of information. Um, I'm not your doctor, so I can't really comment on your specific situation, but I have cared for thousands of people who have been facing the last year, six months, three months of life. And if you want or need me to comment generally on those fears that you have, I, I would be happy to do that. And I think it would make you feel better. Okay, I would, uh, I would welcome that, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, one of the things that I don't remember literally disclosing with you before, uh, so I'm in pain of uh, sort of revisiting it. Um, both my parents died of cancer. Mm-hmm. My mother died when I was uh, 14 and she, I mean, it was 1972. Mm-hmm. And she died a very painful death. So she, she had a very difficult time in 1972. And my father died in 1988 and he, he basically had the same effect. It was, it was in the body. Mm-hmm. So I associate cancer or having cancer with mm-hmm. these terrible nightmarish um, situations and scenarios where I, I just, I just shun it. It's just something I can't, I can't imagine happening to me, but, um, uh, it's really, uh, it's really tough to, to know how mercurial cancer and disease can be. Yeah. And that's kind of a, a really, um, frightening thing. So I'm, I'm trying to get past that yeah. to understand um, 
how that feels and uh, you know it's hard to believe me when you and your own family have seen painful deaths yes. and you know there are deaths that have pain and you know they do their very best to try to control uh symptoms and you know we're, we're we've gone we've come a long way since the time your parents passed away um but usually those folks have had pain for some reason related to their illness before the dying part so i don't know if you your mother's cancer or your father did he have cancer as well yes the two of them had pain and that was a part of their story um then yep. Again, those trends can continue until the end, but of course they try to manage them. It sounds like it wasn't managed as well as it could have been, but you haven't had that as part of your situation. And so it's unlikely to start now. I've had people with um, metastases from cancer throughout their entire body, and they didn't even know it until they had a bone scan. And I have other people who have a small little metastatic deposit in a bone in their arm, and it's unbelievably painful. So we, we really don't know um, who's going to have pain and who's not going to have pain. But what we do know is that it usually presents earlier in the illness if it's going to be a problem. It would have cropped up by now. So I do not see that as part of your future, nor do I see you automatically becoming confused just because you have metastatic disease in your brain, or because you're going to be on a downward trend in the next six months, you will get more tired and sleep more. Yeah. Um, and so level of consciousness does change over time, but not faculties. Oh, okay. That's very interesting. So that's a that's a big fear for me. That the fear is that it's a it's a general trend of everything getting worse, as, as opposed to just some things getting worse and other things staying about the same. Yeah. But, um, it um, is possible that your memory problem will stay the same. Yes. It is possible that your memory problem will worsen, um, and to what degree we don't know. Um, but you're having memory issues now, but you're still cognitively well. We're talking to you. You're, you're, you know, um, <laughs> making jokes. Yeah. You're exactly. lucid, you know, and yeah. so, yeah, you know, you might never lose that, but you will become more tired for sure. Yeah. That's, that's you know what, Stephen, I like to tell people if it is a downward slope, not if, but it is a downward slope and we don't know when your slope is going to start. Okay. Right. Right. So you know, just because you've been given six months, it doesn't mean this month is going to be different than next month. And then the third month, you'll be halfway there. At some point in the next six months, you will begin a downward slope. That's what that means. Okay. And um, if it's important to you to maximize that right now, you might be the best that you're going to be. Uh, then take it for all it's worth, you know, um, exploit the fact that this may be the best that you feel in the next couple of months before you start getting really tired. And if I could wave my magic wand over you, I would say, 
live your best life. Stephen, what else is on your mind? Well, yeah, I, I want to avoid um, my wife, Debbie, becoming uh, guilt-ridden. I mean, that's my hope is that will exceed my own lifespan uh, is to have her feel guilt-ridden about anything that she does or doesn't do. Mm -hmm. And um, so we communicate fairly well mm -hmm. on that. Yeah, I'm mm -hmm. trying to do that. But of course, there's only, there's only so much you can do without grieving. And, and mourning and, and and following that line, but um, she's a she's a real tough tough person. She you know, I caught her in tears this morning mm -hmm. because of all of that that's going on. But it's it's her right to 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 cry. Yeah, yeah. and no you know you're both grieving really because yeah. um, you know you've just been given big news and you know you're. You begin as a human to ready yourself for losses. You're starting to think about how things are going to change. Yeah, I mean, you're both, uh, your family is readying themselves yeah. for losses, right? You're thinking about this downward slope um, and your wife is thinking about how you're going to change and having to say goodbye to each other. And you're beginning to grieve already. You're already starting to grieve, but this kind of grief, which is called anticipatory grief, and so, excuse me if you already know this, it is it is a protective thing that humans go through, so that um, they they start contemplating and thinking about and preparing for the eventual loss or losses that they're going to have so that when it happens, it doesn't feel as sudden, like lightning struck. And it's still so hard and sad, but doing some of the grieving just naturally now is quite protective. And so crying appropriate, um, feeling frustrated, sad, angry, um, you know, all these feelings are so normal and it is grief and it just starts before the loss happens. Yeah, I think you're right. I do. Yeah. Is it okay for us to talk about that, Stephen? Yes, like, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think of it as shutting down, but most people say that word. I think of it more as a slowing down. Um, you know, our bodies have multiple mechanisms that keep us completely balanced from a hormonal uh, pH level or at a cellular level, our temperature, our vital signs, like our bodies know how to keep things in check. And that's what living is. But all of us, you're right, Stephen, are going to eventually get something that triggers those systems to begin to change and enter into a dying phase. And whether that's cancer for you, it might be Parkinson's for me, it might be ALS versus CN or just aging, something triggers this very natural physiologic process in our body that begins to change those mechanisms that keep us balanced. And what happens on the outside is that we begin to slow. Um, and it's not 
a light switch. It doesn't happen like you're going to be like this. And then suddenly there's going to be a little shake and you're going to be gone. It is like we said, it's, it's, it goes on a slope. And so it starts month by month by month, and then week to week to week, then day to day, then hour to hour. And so you have not started that slope yet. I can tell, and I can see that your tipping point has not started. Um, but at some point you'll notice like, woof, I'm just right now, you might be really tired from the whole brain radiation, but, and you might perk up a bit and your fog might clear up a bit too. Um, but down the road at some point, you'll start noticing, oh, I just am not, I just don't have the same stamina that I used to have. I'm starting to take more naps and they're longer during the day. And it's really tiring to take a shower and I just really have no appetite. And, you know, every month that'll be a little bit more, and then you'll start noticing weekly changes and then daily changes, but it is, we are pre-programmed to have a soft landing, you know, when we're dying but then we just have to consider what illness we're dying from and what are the features that change that soft landing. And for you, I would say your illness story so far has been, would you say more gentle than symptomatic? It would be more gentle than symptomatic, yes. Yeah, and so I think for you, when we look at your illness and then your individual patterns so far, I have every reason to think that you are going to have a gentle landing. I'm really grateful for the time that you spent talking with me. I really appreciate it. Um, that's for both of you as well. And it's um, really quite meaningful and helpful to me to, to understand that and especially to, to say it. Um, so that's a, a, a wonderful, compliment for you both hmm. and, uh, it feels good to do that uh, as well thank yes. you yeah. thank you thank for you. being so honest and vulnerable with us Stephen. my pleasure uh, yeah yeah and all the best to you okay thank you we'll be in touch I think well, thank so. you so much it has been so wonderful to talk with you and i hope you stay in touch hi everyone i have some sad news to share we recorded Stephen's episode in june and we got notice that Stephen passed away in early September. His wife, Deborah, wrote us this email. Finding your podcast changed the way we lived this past year and how we prepared for the future. Until Stephen discovered your podcast, he was scared to ask questions and didn't know what to expect of his cancer journey. As a caregiver, it helped me realize that I needed to ask the important questions while I still had the time, not only from the doctors and palliative care team, but also to make sure I knew what Stephen's wishes were all the way along so I could help navigate, advocate, and honor the way he wanted to live and die. Stephen passed away at home where he wanted to be with me by his side. We're sending our love to Deborah and remembering Stephen through his photography and his books. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. You can visit our website, waitingroomrevolution.com, to learn more about our movement and how you can join it. 
The podcast is produced by myself, Kayla McMillan, Valerie Bishop, Shilpa Jyothi Kumar, and Maggie Sivak. Our theme music is Maypole by Ketsa. <laughs>